Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Lent, we are often asked to reflect on how we can change our lives to become more like Jesus. Towards this end, over the next six weeks, we are going to focus on what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you enjoy. Our Old Testament reading today comes from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. Now during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew. You know, I was thinking this morning, we don't ever really hear anything about Bartholomew. He just gets mentioned once, and then he's kind of off on his own after that, I guess. And Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of all people from Judea. Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. In the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before I get into the sermon today, I think I need to talk about emails, if you don't mind, for a minute. So uh, there have been a lot of emails getting shot around our church over the last week, and if you're not aware of what I'm talking about, on Sunday there was an email that was sent out to many members of the congregation that spoke rather disparagingly of me and of what this person perceives to be my beliefs and my theology. And so I just wanted to kind of address this head on, because I think it's important that we talk about it, which is to say, if you've been here, If you've heard me preach, you know that I'm very open, I'm very transparent, I tell you what I think, I'm not hiding anything. And if you read that email, if you received it and you're wondering about some of the things or you have concerns or questions, 
my door is always open. You are welcome to come talk to me. In fact, this is why I'm a pastor. I love talking about theology. I love talking about beliefs. If you want to come talk to me, I would be more than happy to discuss these things with you. Which leads me to my second point, which is that I really, really want to say thank you. So many of you wrote just wonderful notes of support to me and to my family, and I want you to know how much it meant to me that you all were willing to take the time. Some of you wrote rather lengthy notes, and I know that it took some time for you to do that, and I just want you to know that it really meant the world to me that you were willing to do that. And I also want to assuage some of the anxieties, because I did have some people come up to me and ask me, are you planning on leaving as a result of this? And I want to tell you, no, I have no intention of leaving. I plan on being here for another couple of years at least. So I'm going to be here. And one of the reasons why I want to be here is because we actually just got back the results of our congregational survey. And those results were predominantly good. I mean, it was actually a really good reflection of where we are. We're doing a lot of things well. Now, there's obviously some things we can do better, and we're going to improve on those. But generally speaking, we are doing very, very well in this congregation. And in fact, you may have received an email that will allow you to come and hear the very presentation that the leadership of this church heard. It's on March 21st. It is from 9.30 to 12. March 21st is a Saturday. It is a two and a half hour presentation, so just know that. Like, you gotta be in, you gotta be prepared for that. Um, and we need you to RSVP to let us know that you're going to be present because there's a lot of paper involved and we don't wanna just overprint on that. Now, some of you uh, wrote to us and said, well, I'm out of town. It's, it is spring break for a lot of uh, schools. And if we hear from enough people, we will bring this consultant back to have her talk again in April if we have enough people who show interest. But generally speaking, I want you to know that things are going well and that, in fact, it belies what you probably read in that email. The, the statistics show us that actually we're, we're doing very well. And so I hope that you all feel okay. And I just want to thank you for the support that you all have given to me. It really means the world to me. now we can get on with our sermon for today. So really, that means a great deal to me. Thank you. So we are in the season of Lent, and in Lent, it is traditionally a time, a 40-day period, where we are walking alongside Jesus as he moves towards Holy Week, where we are going to mourn his death on the cross and celebrate his resurrection. And during that time, usually Christians they do something like they give up chocolate or something like that. You all know what I'm talking about, right? So we give up something to try to draw closer to Jesus. What we are going to do in this church is we're going to be talking about the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, in case you didn't know, is actual fruit. It's raspberries and blueberries. It's, it's very tasty. Okay. Now, for some of you, you may not know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Let me, let me tell you what that is in case you're not familiar with it. So... In Christianity, we believe that God is manifest 
through Jesus and through what is known as the Holy Spirit. Now, I assume most people in here can get on board with the idea that God is manifest through Jesus, right? Like, we get that. God being manifest through the Holy Spirit is a little bit more complicated. And so, if I were to kind of back it up, I would say that God's Holy Spirit is God's presence in all things. So it's God's presence in the air you breathe, in the water you drink, in the pew that you're sitting in right now, in the grass, in the trees. So I just want you to know that it's God's presence everywhere. In fact, it is God's presence inside of you. Each of you has the Holy Spirit inside of you, and when you are in touch with that Spirit, it tends to cause you to embody certain qualities in your life. And these are known as the fruit of the Spirit, which, of course, you will find in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And he outlines them. He tells us that those qualities are self-control, patience, kindness, joy, generosity, gentleness, peace, faithfulness, and love. Now, each week, we're going to take one of those concepts, and we're going to talk about them. And the hope is, is that by getting closer to God's Spirit, you will come to cultivate those qualities in your own life. So as we read from the Gospel reading, we're going to look at how Jesus acts this out in his own life, and then we're going to try to mirror that in our own. And what I've done, I've worked very, very hard to make it so that each of these build on each other. So you see how each of them, one follows after the next. So if you learn about patience, you should be able to have the foundation for the next one we'll talk about next week with kindness. So they're trying to build on one another. And the goal is we want you to leave here each week focused on that one. So this week we're talking about patience, and I hope that the whole week you will focus on trying to make that much more a part of your life. And as you heard Adam say, we're going to try to meditate on this through that Taze song, that Taze prayer. So TC started us off on Ash Wednesday. He was getting us going with self-control. And he told us that when we are young, we tend to be very impulsive. We tend to not, not have a lot of self-control. You know, if you leave a kid to their own devices, what's going to happen? Chances are that they're going to eat all kinds of candy. Or if you're TC, you're going to eat a lot of Crunchberry cereal, which is what he talked about. Um, you're going to end up watching endless amounts of television, playing video games, never doing your homework. But as we grow into adulthood, what happens is we gain a lot more self-control. Now, the thing that TC talked about, though, which I really, really loved, is he said that oftentimes when we're looking at self-control, we think of it in terms, as adults, of delayed gratification. Now, delayed gratification is kind of like the marshmallow experiment. You know what I'm talking about with the kids? So you stick a kid in a room, you stick a marshmallow in front of them, you say, hey, you wait 10 minutes, you get an extra marshmallow, right? So the idea is, is that when you have self-control, you get a reward. And that is how a lot of us think about it. So we might think, well, I'll get a reward from somebody for doing something kind, or if I'm controlled, or God's going to reward me. But the truth is, when you're talking about the spiritual discipline of self-control, it's different. You don't do those things because you are going to get a reward. You do them because of the right thing to do. If you're walking into uh, a store and you see somebody who's elderly behind you, do you hold the door for them because you hope that they're going to give you something? No. Do you hold the door because you hope God's going to let you into heaven? No. You do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think that that really sets the foundation very, very well for what we're going to be talking about with all of these. Now today we are talking about the quality of patience. What is patience? Patience is when you find yourself in a situation, in circumstances, where you would normally become upset or angry, but you have the presence of mind 
to step back from those circumstances and that situation and not become upset or angry. I will tell you that as a father, parenting is an excruciating exercise in patience. Now, my boys, they are nine and six years old, and I can tell you that when I'm at dinner with them, they are always somehow getting their cup very close to the edge of the table all the time. Now, anybody who's had children, you probably know what I'm talking about, yes? Okay, I've probably said it, I don't know, 5,000 times to each of them, and that's probably a conservative estimate. Hey, just pull your cup a little bit further away from that table edge, right? But somehow, somehow, throughout the meal, it always just finds itself right on the precipice of a major spill. So we'll get together, we try to eat dinner together every night, and my kids are always gesticulating wildly. I wonder where they get that from as they're telling me about their day. And so I'm like trying to have patience as I sit there. I'm like, it takes everything for me not to reach across the table and pull it back because you know, what am I trying to teach them? Responsibility, right? So of course I'm like sitting there watching it and I'm thinking to myself, it'll be okay. And then like Cassandra, who has a premonition about the future, but she can't do anything about it. I'm two seconds too late as they knock the cup onto the floor and they spill the stickiest liquid on the planet everywhere, and I'm serious, it's like NASA is trying to engineer this stuff to make it as sticky as possible. They're like, is it coming up off the floor? Then clearly it's far too sticky. Then, or not sticky enough, and then what happens is the major part of this is the clean it up phase, right? This is where it takes major patience because then you ask them to take it and they start, of course, what do they do? They just spread the stickiness everywhere on the floor, and then you come down the next morning and you're walking around and you're my socks are literally sticking to the floor as I'm walking through. One time it happened, it literally ripped a hole in my sock. It was so sticky as I was walking past it. So at that point, I think to myself, you know what? I should probably get on the floor and clean this up. So, you know, I'm on the floor and I'm scrubbing as hard as I can and I'm thinking up all kinds of new combinations of curse words that have never come up before. And all of a sudden I realize as I'm looking at myself literally kneeling on the floor that patience will bring you to your knees. <laughs> now some of us, we are born with patience. But for most of us, patience is a learned skill. Would you agree? Yes. All right. When we are kids, we, patience is very much in short supply with us. But then as we get older, we learn how to tolerate circumstances where we need patience. As a kid, I didn't do very well in school because if it didn't come easily to me, I didn't have the patience to sit there and try to learn it. I just figured that I wasn't smart enough to understand it, but that wasn't true. What I determined was, later on, that I was smart enough, I just didn't want to take the time to actually learn what it meant. In eighth grade, though, that's where our high school started, I decided that I was going to take high school Latin. Have you all ever taken Latin? Who in here has taken Latin? You learned Latin. Oh, there we go. Okay, so Latin is a notoriously difficult language. Notoriously difficult. It's very hard. And I got into that class and I thought, all right, no, no problem. I'll just take it through osmosis, right? It'll just hit me. And that's not true, right? If you've studied Latin, you know you've got to study it. And my teacher, she took me aside and she said, Alex, why don't you come to my house? We need to sit down one weekend. We need to talk through all of this. And so she's like, okay, this is a noun. This is a verb. This is an object. Like, didn't know that at the time, right? And so I learn all these things, and I'm feeling really good. Like, I leave the house, and I'm like, okay, this is great. I'm going to be able to do Latin. She says, Alex, look, 
This is as easy as it gets. It gets way harder from here. So what you need to do is you need to spend 30 minutes to an hour every day studying this. And I made a conscious decision in that moment that I was going to study it every day. Now, I wasn't very good at it, even with all the studying, but I was able to take the time to learn what I needed to learn. I was able to cope as a result of making that decision. Now, because of this, I realized later on that patience is really about a mindset. Would you agree with me on that? So if you go into a particular situation and you know that you're going to need patience, that's going to help you out a lot more than if you walk into a situation and you're not anticipating it, right? So I went into Latin, I thought, oh, you either understand it or you don't. But once I understood I needed the patience to study, to learn the declination of nouns or the conjugation of verbs, well, that changed everything for me. But even when you're expecting something, even when you're anticipating patience, the problem is that sometimes we are not in the right frame of mind to even do it then. Because there's all kinds of different factors in our lives that allow us to be patient. Did you get enough sleep? Did you eat well? Right? Are you stressed out? Did you get exercise? These are all things that if you didn't do those things, it can exacerbate your level of patience. But I actually think the one thing that is probably the hardest when it comes to patience is when you've become very good at something and you're not anticipating that you're going to need patience. So I, used to, I go to the gym fairly often and I tend to switch gyms around every so often. And I got to a gym a long time ago where I met this guy who was in his 70s. And this guy was really fit. He was really in shape. He was really good at the weights. He ate a very healthy diet. And I thought to myself, I want to be like that guy when I get to be in my 70s. He had a stroke, unfortunately, at one point while I was there. And he lost the use of a lot of his fine motor skills. He lost the use of his arms in the way that he wanted to use them. Now this is a guy who could routinely lift 40 and 50 pound dumbbells in his 70s. So this is a guy who was strong. And now he could barely grip a five pound dumbbell, let alone pick it up. And I remember one day his physical therapist wheeled him in and she was trying to get him to grab it and he just broke down crying. He was so frustrated. And she said, look, you're gonna have to have patience. It's gonna take time for you to learn how to use your hands in the way that you used to. And as I was sitting there watching him go through this, it occurred to me to ask a very fundamental question, which is, why do we need patience? Why is patience so important for us? And as I watched him struggle with this, it made me realize it's because we as human beings, we are very slow creatures. We are actually not born to be efficient. So it takes us years, sometimes decades, to learn how to do a particular thing. So for my sons, right, with the cup that they're getting away from the edge of the table, they're almost, you know, they're nine and six. It's still going to take them another couple of years, but eventually what's going to happen, they're going to become aware of their spatial surroundings. It's going to become second nature. They're going to understand they just have to move the cup away. But think about how long it took for them to understand that. The same thing is true emotionally. A lot of times we have a very narrow bandwidth of the things that we can deal with emotionally. And when something comes in outside of that, it can really throw us off like a stroke when you're not expecting it. We are what I refer to as an amnesiac species. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Amnesia? What's amnesia? When, when you forget, right? <laughs> in first service, somebody was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> 
<laughs> so amnesia is when you forget. And we are an amnesiac species. We, we very easily forget when we're adults how hard it was when we were children to learn all the things that we do. We, and we become very impatient, don't we? Like a good example of this with my boys is putting on shoes. Like putting on their shoes is a minimum of a two-minute event. It can be up to 10, depending on if they get into a fight on the stairs, right? Like they like literally like they throw each other's shoes away. Like, okay, so you have to like plan for that. Now it takes me 10 seconds to put my shoes on to get out the door. Now I have decades of experience with it though, right? And I look at them and it's like so frustrating to me, but I have to be patient because at one point I was just like them. I was no different. It took me forever to put on my shoes too when I was a little guy. And at a certain point, they will get used to it. They'll be like me, 10 seconds. But then what happens? As you get older, what occurs? You start to lose that ability. I'm sure some of you in here know putting your shoes on is not as fast as it used to be. And I think that that can be a major source of frustration is when you were efficient at something and then you become inefficient at it as you age. And I think that the source of this frustration for us is something fundamental. We all feel it on our backs, which is that time is our most precious resource. True? Time is our most precious resource. It is something that we don't want to waste. And yet, here is where the problem lies. Patience is diametrically opposed to time. Patience is our acknowledgement that life takes time. Now that is really, really hard for many of us to understand that patience really does take time out of our lives and that it's important. And we see this in the most beautiful way in the scripture we read today from the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus, he names his 12 disciples and from those 12 disciples, he, back it up one, please, thank you. So from those 12 disciples, he ends up uh, getting all of his people together, and then he is swarmed. He's swarmed by all of these individuals who come and they want to see him, they want to hear him preach, they want to be healed by him. And in this time, as he's seeing them, can you imagine what that would be like, right? All these people are clamoring to get next to you, clamoring to touch you. And as you get close to them, as they come close to you, you have to have patience. I mean, imagine the amount of patience it would take when people are getting close to you and you have to give them all individualized attention. Imagine the focus that it takes for us to be able to sit there and to hear what each person is going through, how they are struggling, what they're dealing with, because he has to talk to them each individually to figure that out. I think most of us, if we were placed in that position, we would not have the patience for that level of need. But Jesus does. Even though all these people want to get close to him, they want to be next to him, the fact is he has the presence of mind to look at them, and he has the presence of mind to say, how can I help you? Now, when you do that, something remarkable comes out of that. And that is when you truly have patience, it allows you to form connections. When you have patience... It allows you to form deep and meaningful connections with other people. It opens up a space. When you slow down, when you stop, you create this opportunity for relationships with other people. And this is why patience is very much a spiritual discipline. It's why Jesus is willing to slow down and exhibit this factor when he is dealing with all of these people. Because yes, do they need his ability to heal them? course. 
But what do they also need? They also need somebody who can connect with them. Somebody who can say, I love you, I see you, I see who you are, and I care about you. I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself here, but one of the results that came back from the survey, one of the things where we are weakest in this congregation is actually forming deep and meaningful relationships. That was something that we found across the board, that in fact, it's very hard for people in this church to find connections that really are meaningful to them. Now, the pastors, Judy and myself, we can create programs around this, but the programs are only so much. Really, this is something that we have to rely on you all for. It has to be a cultural change from within. And if you all are willing to cultivate patience in your life, then you never know the type of connections you can find in very unexpected places. And I just want to end this morning by telling you a very brief story of a time when I had some patience in my life. And that patience really made a huge difference and formed a very unexpected connection. So... Last spring, I was out in Philadelphia. I was there for a conference with the Board of Pensions. If you don't know what the Board of Pensions is, basically they oversee the pensions for everybody in the PCUSA, and they provide us with our health insurance. You could tell it was gonna be a really exciting conference. So I, I went out to hear what they had to say about it. And uh, it was a nice chance for me to go to Philly. They gave us a really nice dinner. We got to go to see the Barnes Foundation. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but they're connected with the Philadelphia Museum of Art. So we got to see that. We were allowed to go in by ourselves. It was really a, a neat evening. And the next day, I got finished with the conference. And I had a couple hours just to go around and to check out Philadelphia. And I was walking down this major throwaway. And I could see off in the distance, there was this man who was begging for change in front of a mailbox. And I could tell that there was something wrong with him, but I couldn't see what it was because I was too far away. But as I got closer, I could see that this man had horrible scars all over his body. It was clear that he had been very, very badly burned at some point in his life. And not wanting to stare, I just smiled at him. I said hello, and I just kept on walking. And I got about midway down the block and I realized that in fact I needed to catch my Uber to get to the airport. And so I took out my phone and I started looking up the app. And of course, you know how you can feel sometimes when somebody's looking at you, right? And so I turn around, I look back and I see this guy and he's looking at me. And so I put my phone away and I walk back over to him and I just sit down with him in the middle of this really busy intersection. And we have a conversation. We start talking. And what I find out about him is his name is James. He originally came from Delaware, and when he was eight years old, he was living at his uncle's house, his whole family was, and there was an electrical fire at night in his house. Uh, the fire just killed his entire family. He was the only one who came out of that fire alive. He spent several years in a hospital getting skin grafts to try to fix some of the scarring on his body, uh, but when he got finished with all of that, he didn't have a family, so he was put into foster care. And so what I came to see from talking to this man was that as much as he had scars all over his body, the main scars, the deeper scars, were the psychological and emotional scars he had suffered from this tragedy in his life. And as we sat there and we talked, he told me how that because of the way that he looked, many people were afraid of him and that he never really had conversations with people. I could feel that he felt very lonely in his life. And I came away from that. We could only talk for 10 or 15 minutes. I went and got him something to eat, and then I left. 
I could tell from all of this that he was, he had some mental illness, but yet he very much appreciated the fact that we had this conversation. He very much said to me, he said, you're the first person in a long time who's actually sat down and spent time actually talking to me about me. And so I think about that from last year often because how easy could it have been for me not to have that interaction, right? I had to get to the airport. There's a lot of homeless people in Philadelphia. Like I walked past most of them, but I sat down and had a conversation with this guy, even though I had every incentive. I got to get to the airport. I got to get on my flight. But I sat with him because at that moment, I allowed God's spirit of patience to guide my actions. And even though I couldn't heal the scars on his body, I think in that moment I was able to give just a little bit of healing to his soul, even if it was only for a moment. And that's what I want to inspire you all to think about today, which is that if you all are able to cultivate this spirit of patience in your life, you never know the connection you might be able to form. There are all these opportunities in our lives that are just right there in front of us. And if we're willing to take a moment, it can really impact our lives and the lives of other people. And I'll be the first one to admit, I'm horrible at this. Like I just gave you a story where I shined in all of this, but usually I'm just moving across my life. I'm going as quick as I can because, right? Time is always against us, and I want to use it efficiently. But if I can, when I take that moment, I can tell you that every time I have, it has always been worthwhile. I've always found a connection, a relationship that I didn't think I was going to form. And so even though time is against us, I hope that you will be patient. I hope that you will slow down, take your time, because you never, never know the relationships you might have the opportunity to form and how that can not only change you, but other people in the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.